This one here's for my peoples In a promised land that never planned to free Designed to keep you curled in the fetal Feeble, stay strong brother we need you this one here is for my peoples In a promised land that never planned to free Designed to keep you curled in the feed Stay strong, sister, we need you Hello everybody, welcome to Powerful Impact Podcast And today we have a special guest, Dr. Randy Stoniers. Um, I am insistent that we get our minds right in this next couple of years because I think um, we are due for a reset and I am so happy that you decided to come on. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on for sure. I think as a community, we've kind of been struggling. Mm -hmm. I think some of these issues are brand new to us because we're so used to pushing them to the back mm -hmm. and not actually dealing with life mm -hmm. because you're too busy trying to live that to actually focus on living. Mm -hmm. But before we get really deep, <laughs> I just want to know where are you from? I'm from I'm from Jersey, so I'm in Central Jersey. I'm about I pro I'm like thirty minutes outside of NYC, New York City. So I'm in, I'm in Central Jersey. So that's where I'm located right now. Mm -hmm. And how how did being from Jersey? Um, impact your career? Well, I think just being from Jersey, because I grew up in Jersey City, New Jersey. So I grew up in the city. And then mm -hmm. like, if you, like most cities around the country, like Jersey City is a very, you know, it's, it's like a, it's an urban community. Like it's the hood, you know, that's where I grew up at. And my and my mm -hmm. parents, when we were young, me and my sister, my parents moved us to like uh, the suburbs of New Jersey, like a different area, because they wanted to get us out of the city. Um, because you know some of the challenges that you know you face in the city, growing up in the city, and things like that. So that gave me like a whole nother spin of life. So I had both of these experiences where I was growing up in the city, and then I moved to the suburbs, and both of those experiences sort of shaped me in terms of understanding people and understanding needs and, you know, some of the things that were going on in the city where I grew up when I was younger, um, some of the resources that they had in, in the other areas I didn't even know existed, you know, so it definitely was part of my shaping of who I am and who I've become because it really let me see like what our people need. So, you know, I always go back you know, even though I, I live still in Central Jersey, I, I'm always working in the cities that, that around the state to try to help our, our our young people and just help our people in general with with, with mental health and wellness mm -hmm. and healing and all that. You you have a 
unique way of um, doing your profession. Um, I, I before I get it, we get into detail about what you do because mm -hmm. what you do is rather special, and um, I think it it's it is a great way to actually reach people, especially our people. Um, but um, what was the moment, what was the moment you, you fell in love with hip hop? Wow, that's such a, I just love that question. It's such a dope question, uh, SP, I appreciate that. I, I always love sharing it. Um, so when I was young, I, I think that, you know, growing up in a city and, you know, as a young kid, you listening to music and, you know, you, you feel like you hear different sounds that vibrate through the neighborhood, you know, where you grow up at. Um, and I remember during the holidays, like I was probably like around, I want to say like seven or eight. And I, um, mm -hmm. I asked, I asked my, my parents for a radio. So they bought me, and even prior to that, like I was going to my 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 uncle's house, my grandmother's house, and my uncle lived there. And um, mm -hmm. he used to he used to DJ. So around this time, I'm a little kid. I'm probably like 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 I said, like around six, seven. And he used to have vinyl, so he mm -hmm. used to DJ, and I used to see the vinyl and look at the the album covers. And I was like, what is this like music like? And sometimes while he wasn't there, um, shout out to my uncle Born. He'll hear this. I would put the needle on the vinyl and just listen to the music. So then later on, like fast forward, like a year or two later, after just trying to listen to the music, I asked my parents for a radio. So they bought me one of those big boom boxes. And as a little kid, I was just so happy that I had this radio that I sat it near my bed. And, you know, you when you get that new thing, that new toy, you want to, you know, listen to it and play it. And um, out here in the city, there was some radio stations, just like everywhere, where they play hip hop at night. So I would actually like fall asleep listening to, you know, DJ Red Alert, um, Marley Mall, like out radio stations that's from out here. And I just fell in love with the music because I was trying to record the music, and then I was, you know, coming home watching the videos on on a show called Video Music Box, and I just like fell in love with the the. The movies, Beat Street, all the movies breaking that was out back then. So all the the, um, the pillars of hip hop culture, I just fell in love with, and that was like back in, like I said, like around seven or eight, and it just it just morphed in who I am today. It became part of who I am. Like I always say, it's like in my DNA, you know. So um, that's really when I fell in love, like back that young, you know. That's when I first fell in love with with the music and the culture. That's dope. I, I kind of have the same story. So, Dr. S, when did you realize hip-hop was something you wanted to do as a career and profession? Wow, the more dope questions, man. Thanks, Ned, for that. I, You know, it was one of those things because I like, you know, what I was saying to SP, like this, it became part of my DNA. It was sort of like I fell in love with it. And, you know, if you have this love and something that you enjoy, you foresee or start to think about the, the possibilities of you doing it 
forever. And because I used to watch the videos and I used to see the artists and whether I was looking at a video with ever being rock him or I was looking at, you know, Dana Dane or um, Slick Rick. You know, I was like, oh, that could be me. Like, that's probably something that I could do. So I just started, you know, you know, writing little things down and, you know, getting more into the culture. And I started to think of myself as having an opportunity to do it, but maybe really not seriously until I would probably say like, now this is me, right? Like eighth grade, like I was starting to like say, you know what, I, we, I could do this because when I moved from the city to the suburbs of, of, of central Jersey, I connected mm -hmm. with uh, some young brothers, some young brothers that was doing the music. And, um, you know, because they were doing music as well, I kind of, they embraced me and I was able to, to link up with them and we formed a group and we were just starting to say, okay, we could do this, you know, and it became a real realiza realization that this is something that could actually happen for me. Um, and we just started doing music, man. I was a studio rat and, you know, making music and making songs and staying in the studio, producing, making beats, you know, and I started to see, you know what, this is something I could really do. And I tell the young people I work with today, my high school, when I graduated high school, I didn't go to college right away. I always tell that story, like, because I was doing, I was going to do music. So I grew up in an era where you create these demos and you go to the city city and stand in front of record labels and hope somebody comes out and, you know, you pass them your tape. And so that's where I grew up from that era. So that was my plan at the high school. Like I was going, I was doing music, you know, and that's when I felt like I was going to do it as a career and do it forever. How long did you like stick with that program and how long did you go into that before it was like, all right, let me go get that nine to five. Let me go get that degree, degree yeah. or whatever. What's the word? Not conform, but let me go go with the secure plan or the, you know what I mean? The mainstream plan. Does that make sense? Yeah, that I, a dope question because. You know, it was like a really, um, I was doing both like at the same time. So obviously I graduated high school and I needed, you know, to uh, still provide for myself. I lived with my parents for a little bit, but I, I had moved out pretty early. So I got my own little spot. So I was always working, but I knew in the back of my mind, like that hip hop was going to be that thing that was going to ultimately propel me. But I needed to pay bills too at the same time. So, so we were all working, like all me and my boys were all working. And then, boom, we would circle back. And at nighttime or on the weekends, we was like locked in, you know, because my boy had the studio in his basement and I was always at his crib. And we all my, all of us from the community that did music was always there. It was like the hub. So we was just there and we was always making music, talking about music talking about marketing, talking about the business end of it, um, because we were all sort of in alignment with this idea that we were going to take this to the next level. So, you know, I, I always did both. Like I always, music was, like I said, in my DNA. So it was nothing for me to work. And I was still in music mode. And then when I got out, I was still in music mode. So it, it I always had that idea that I was gonna do it full time. Um, whenever I was doing it part-time. So, um, 
you told us about what made you fall in love with hip hop. Mm -hmm. But what song did you hear that was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do with my life? Mm. Great question. Um, I would say like early, early KRS-One, mm -hmm. um, Criminal Minded, My Philosophy, um, Eric B and Rock Kim, Eric B for mm -hmm. President, um, I Ain't No Joke. Like early, I go back, I, I always have a song in my head that I remember when I had the boombox was a song by D Nice, D Nice before D Nice was DJing. Um, well, he's always DJ D Nice, but he was doing music and he had this song, um, the TR808, and he talked about like the sound of the 808, which is really interesting now because full circle, um, Kanye was talking about the 808 sound um, recently mm -hmm. too. So, was it one song? I would probably have to say it was KRS One. Um, criminal minded because I just thought I was like, wow, like this is the culture was definitely different, and the way he spun it was just really talking about like growing up in the, and a lot of our communities where we grow up at. And mm -hmm. I just fell in love with this idea that hip hop could be so many different things, you know. And um, so I would say Karis One was the artist. And that song and that album was the album that really, like, I fell in love with the music, along with everything in rock him too, for sure. Yeah, that was a dope. That was a uh, dope pick. Appreciate uh, that. Yeah, that was that was it. Yeah, sure. that was a good, that was a good one. You you had me playing it in my head. <laughs> mm -hmm. You can hear so the beat. Did, you can uh, hear the beat. Huh? I said you can hit a beat like in your head. Like I, I'm, I'm reflecting yeah. on it as I'm talking to you. Yeah, you could, you could. Uh, that's kind of what I missed. That that was music you could feel. It, even now, it's just like you just heard it. You can, you can picture it in your head, and you can feel it in your spirit. Mm -hmm. Um. So how did how how does how does hip hop influence you um, when you're dealing with the with mental health? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, just like I said, because it's it's a you know I love the saying about Karis one too. Like rap is something you you do, hip hop is something you live, and because I feel like I you know I feel like it because I live it because it's who I am. It was a natural sort of part of my practice in terms of how I do things in the space of mental health and therapy and education. You know, it was just like, mm -hmm. it was organic, you know, because like whenever I was sitting down and I specialize in working with young people, whenever I was sitting down with a young person, my natural tendency was to ask, you know, well, who do you listen to? Like, you know, not even mm -hmm. like, a, not even just like, it was almost like the assumption that they listened to hip hop because I knew that hip hop was such a, even before it became the number one genre of music, I just knew like hip hop was just like permeating every sort of area of people's lives. And I knew the communities in which I was listening to. 
so um, working in. So I already knew like it was present. So I just wanted to know like what our kids were listening to so we could make that connection. Cause it told me a lot about who they were, about who the artists they were listening to as well. And it was a great mm-hmm. opportunity for us to just engage in a very organic way. Cause you're sitting around, you talking, you know, you're in a session or you, you know, you're in a therapy session or a mentoring session or whatever the case may be. And you just having a conversation that naturally evolves around music and culture and community. And then it moves into mood and how it impacts you, how it makes you feel. And mm-hmm. before you know it, you're having this very, um, this very organic and intense and this powerful dialogue, you know, with the person that you're here to empower and engage and educate and help heal. So music was just always hip hop was just a, a a big part of that. You know, it was always present. You know, when in in mm-hmm. all the work that I've done. So how did you start mental hop? Yeah. So um, because I have always utilized hip hop more like in an informal way through um, conversation and, and and connecting and engaging. In 2017 was like a tw- it was like a transition period for me. I had been um, even prior to that. I would say in 2013, I left the school district position I was in for five years uh-huh. and started a program for young men called um, Project Empowerment. So when I started that program in 2013, I was incorporating more hip hop, you know, um, intentionally into the work that I was doing. Um, whether I was talking about artists or highlighting a certain song and discussing it with the group. And then in 2017, I was just like, I want to formalize it. I want to create something that is formal, a program that I can actually partner and start to get into more schools. And, And I was thinking, what's the name of it? And I was like, well, I love to help people do this in this area of mental health, but I love hip hop. And then I just say, you know, it's really like I want to be the bridge that brings these two spaces together. And I just formed Mental Hop. And I made sure that I wanted it to be mental health education um, because I wanted to really help people understand the nuances around mental health and wellness and healing. Because I felt like there was so much stigma and shame around it before people are talking about it now, which is great. But I picked up on it years ago because there was always resistance when there was ever time to see a client or see somebody. I was always like, you know, people didn't want to come to counseling or they were um, sort of curious about what it was or they didn't really know what it was. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to make my platform about mental health education because people fear what they don't understand. And the more understanding that you have. The, uh, the the walls and the resistance drops because now you don't have to be afraid of it because you have this knowledge and understanding around it. So that's why, that's really how Mental Hop came about. In 2017, I actually created a more formal sort of program and platform around it that I was presenting to schools and organizations, um, sort of like a curriculum of sort to be able to connect with with, with young people and just in our community, the parents as well, you know, around hip hop and mental health and that, you know, that, that space. 
So oh, that's actually really dope. Appreciate um, it. Appreciate that. Especially because you see the struggle. I, I work. I, I I work psych. I'm a psych. I'm a psychiatric nurse. So. Mm -hmm. So you know, it always makes me feel great to see people trying to find ways to really tap in, because so many people get thrown away, and nobody should be thrown away. I, I think there's a way to help, or at least make life not as hard for I people agree. with uh, mental illness or who has learning disabilities, you know, and the night the kindest thing you could do is just learn the verbiage. Right? It's language, you know, so, and hip hip hop is such a big part of that language. So, you know, helping people, I mm -hmm. agree with you, SP, helping people with the vocabulary, the language, to, to be able just to understand a little bit more about what what they may be feeling, you know, and what they may be experiencing. That alone can help increase that awareness that helps maybe restore hope in people, you know, that there's an opportunity for them to recover and be restored and heal from the things that they're experiencing. So why do you believe that the traditional forms of therapy and mental health education need to change? Yeah, I, you know, going through formal training, obviously school and, you know, learning about different theories and um, modalities and, and, and approaches to be able to help people in the area of mental health. You know, I, and I think this is a big part of hip hop, too. Like, I've always been like, I'm a creative. So. If somebody mm -hmm. creates something, you know, I'm going to research it. I'm going to explore it, but I'm but I'm also going to understand that in like this, like music and hip hop, it evolves. And I found out some of the things that we were doing were very, you know, stagnant. You know, and and you know, I get it that you know, formal education sort of teaches us a way of doing things. But if our world is changing and our world is evolving, but our approaches and our techniques are not, then we are always going to sort of be like behind or reaching or grasping for what could truly be effective. And a lot of the theories and modalities weren't necessarily de designed or developed with the population that I work with, which is black and brown people. So because of that, I was like, one of the things, we started this culture of hip hop that goes back to, all the way back to our original roots. When you think about the music and the sounds and the healing ceremonies and the tribes. And I was like, you know, it's such a big part of our culture. Like we should find a way to utilize it and have it be hopefully a source of connecting people with this idea that they deserve to heal and overcome and, and learn and grow and um, be educated and be empowered. So it was really about trying to find something, honestly, SP, that works 
that's effective, that actually does what it's supposed to do. And I found that hip hop at the at least the uh, most organic, authentic place of it is connection. And that alone can be a great way to begin conversations around what mental health is and what healing looks like and what it feels like. So I just wanted to do something that could truly help our people be able to, to feel like they can overcome the challenges that they've been facing for so long. And I, I, I agree with you because um, I think people forget how important those drums are. They forget how important that frequency is to us and, and how it makes your spirit feel when you hear when you hear that boom, bah, boom, 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 bah, you just you know what's coming and you automatically start bobbing your head. It's just naturally built into us. And I think it's great that you found a way to bring it out of us and heal at the same time. So uh where do you see mental hop going in three to five years? Well, so right now we already have like mental mental hop is is in a lot of schools already um, here in New mm -hmm. Jersey, and I have some 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 dope partnerships with um, organizations and entities that are um, that have our people are already working with our people. So I'm in a, a partnerships with schools in a lot of the communities and areas, but also in a juvenile justice program. So you're talking about young people who are incarcerated um, that have been through challenges for various reasons. And, and I just got a new partnership with juvenile probation. So I'm going to be working with kids that are on probation and, and talking to them mm -hmm. with this mental hop approach. So I, I see mental hop as being like, I want mental hop to be that health class, that, that class that you had in your school that, mm -hmm. that class that you never had, that you always wanted, you know, the class mm -hmm. that was that you wanted to go to when you stepped into school, when you stepped into that classroom door, the energy was would be vibrant. It would be engaging, mm -hmm. it would be relative. It would be practical. It would be things that you could actually use and actually feel. I want that space in that class in every city in New Jersey. And beyond. So that's my goal in the three to five years. I want to have at least be tap into every city that's on my map here in New Jersey where we need it the most. That's where I'm going. I'm not I'm mm -hmm. not doing stuff like everybody can benefit from mental health and healing. And, and that's and I get that. But I'm going to where our people need it the most. That's where I'm going. And um, those are the spaces I want to be in. So. Those are the, that's the essence of social work to me. And that's what I am like street outreach, talking to people, having community talks, community events and dope spaces like this, where people will be able to hear and, and, and hopefully get something out of it that can impact their lives in a positive way. Mm -hmm. um, I, I hope they re reach out into the South, because as a black woman growing up in the South, it's 
just not a lot for us. You know, um, we see all these great programs and, and things going on. It's, it's kind of like you're in, uh, we're in the middle of nowhere and I think we are an underserved community. <laughs> I'm coming, SP. Yeah, it's gonna. It's like I I feel the, you. Like they need it too, for sure. Especially in like Texas, where they change the history books and twist the truth. And unless you are diligent, you will be raising little black kids who think that the slave the slave trade was a was a cruise ship taking people to a place a where they could prosper. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna it's going to uh you know connections like this right here are the ways that we build those networks that allow that will allow mental hop powerful impact to partner and do dope things together and that will bring us into these different spaces and places so we can impact lives everywhere because you're absolutely right. Whether mm -hmm. it's Texas, whether it's I'm also licensed, so I'm licensed in New Jersey, but I'm also licensed in Florida as well. So my goal is to just make these connections with people all throughout the country and then say, see how we could sort of come together in the spaces where they're located and how I can mm -hmm. utilize, you know, their services and the things, the dope things that they're doing where I'm at as well. So it's definitely a need for sure. So, um, how do you think that um, hip hop actually can um, help change uh, or allow people to heal from me mental health challenges? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's so many ways. Um, we talked about it a little bit with just the sounds that we mm -hmm. hear. So I'm not even talking about before. I, I love to use the pillars of hip hop as a, a great sort of um, great way to understand how hip hop works. Like, you know, you have the graffiti, which is that art, that creative aspect of it. And then you have breaking or breakdancing, which is the movement. So we know creatively, like creative spaces help us here. We know movement help us helps us here. We know the MC is the the story, the narrative, the mm -hmm. language. We know when we express ourselves, that helps us heal, also. And then we have this the, the DJ who has the ability to impact the mood based on the the, the choices. Of, of songs that they play, but also the technology in as well, because the DJ always had that turntable, that, S, that SP-1200, so to speak, where he was allowed to drop that needle on that, that record at a certain place in a certain time or the sound, the dumping, the volume. Mm -hmm. So it's a way where we can take those elements, bring them together in help people understand that we could we could really be intentional about utilizing hip-hop in a new way and the artists are um expressing their feelings they're sharing their stories 
They're talking about their their challenges, but they're also talking about their, their how they can persevere. They're also talking about their triumphs. And, and then I get help. We can have discourse, a conversation around some of the, the, the language, where that comes from, the environment. So it's all about making these connections and ultimately people getting to a space where they find the opportunity to feel better again or the opportunity to be restored by sharing their feelings. Maybe they don't rap, maybe they don't have 16 bars that they can drop, but can they journal? Can they understand the power of vulnerability, of just, just talking about your feelings can be powerful. So these are all areas that, you know, right away when we're, when we're dealing with maybe populations that are, you know, um, a little bit like uncertain, like there's a lot of shame and stigma around mental health and healing. Now we could say, nah, but we all listen to, you know, this music, you know, and we could, we could come together and we could heal together. Like we can do this together. You don't have to be afraid, you know, because hip hop, you know, is so inviting that now, you know, it's an opportunity for people to see the connections in which the music the narratives, the stories that they listen to is really the beginnings of healing, you know? And then real quick, SP, one of the things I wanted to share is that a lot of times in the music, there's a lot of ruminating. Ruminating just means like you, you're spinning around the suffering and the turmoil that you've been through. So we could utilize hip hop to say like, now there's another level where we're actually healing, like we're not surviving and just hanging on in the music, which is what we hear a lot of, like I got through it, like I'm getting through it. Now there's a whole new level that brings us back to our origins, which is greatness, royalty, you know, kings and queens. Like I wanted to, the music to help us go full circle and understanding that once we're healed, and, or not once we're healed, but in the process of healing, we rediscover who we are in a new way. And, and it's just a, it's a wonderful feeling that I want, want to help people experience. It's kind of like um, the other uh, podcast I used to do, it was just taking artists lyrics and applying them to everyday life hmm. because there is so much healing you can get from Jay's verse on Renegade. Exactly. It's so much healing that you could get from a dear mama. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think, I, I'm just like Jay on Renegade, do you listen to music or do you just skim through it? Mm -hmm. Are you listening to, are you really listening to what they're saying? You know, and I think if people actually listened to what they were saying um, and applied it because they don't apply it. And people talk about um, about Jay's album um, 444 and I was like Y'all was complaining about he sound old and I was taking notes. 
It was a class. <laughs> it was a it was, he a, was just dropping gems. So S, SP is one of the things like we really like in, in what mental hop is also helping people understand how to listen to hip hop, like critical listening skills, critical thinking skills, like it, it it's, it's a it's an educational class like you really mm -hmm. teaching people about hip-hop but not only about the culture from a broad perspective but a very micro perspective in terms of like you said listening to music how you listen to it like you can this is these are the the new professors these are the professors mm -hmm. of modern times. These are the, when I talked about those theories and approaches, they are, Jay is providing opportunity, this masterclass, so to speak, for us to be able to learn and get information through the music. And if we listen to it in a critical way, we could, and, and then also apply it and talk about where we can apply that in our lives, pull different gems from it. You know, that's when we can start to see some change as well. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you are absolutely correct, and I I love to hear this because I I think um, our generation did a piss poor job of actually passing what hip hop is on, you know, and then we complain well. They don't, they don't know nothing about hip hop, but what did you tell them about it? SP, when I do these presentations, I show a picture of the current artists. So I'll show them my PowerPoints, mm -hmm. new artists. And then I'll ask, I'll show a, a slide of our elder statesmen in the culture as well. And I, and I, have these conversations with young people about who the the people who helped pave the way. But even when I'm in spaces doing things with the NASW and these organizations, mainly of adults, and I ask the questions and they tell me, well, I don't really like these new artists. And I don't like these, you know, this new music. And I say, but, but how did they get here? Like, like, how do we get to this space? Like, we have to take some responsibility as well because exactly. maybe we didn't do as great of a job in this passing of the baton, so to speak. And instead of being divisive and tearing down one another, one another, how can we learn from each other in terms of where we are at currently? I just want them to learn how to where the drums go. They, yeah, yeah. They yeah, slide them back in there somewhere. <laughs> Well, well, you know what? I love. I was listening to a Nas song, um, the Bible, and I kept re I kept replaying it because he was saying, "Imagine little Uzi on a primo beat," and I was thinking, like, I love that about Nas anyway. I love the bar, but I or or him on Amigos beat, and I think that's the bridge we're seeing. Like, can you catch this tone, this 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 sound? And it's challenging, mm. you know, and I think, and I love that idea, SP. I think we we have to educate our young people what boom bap is. Like, this is powerful impact. Do you know mm -hmm. what it's like to be on that primo beat? Do you know what it's like to be on that Pete Rock beat? Can you catch that, that 
you know, catch that vibe, you know. So, you know, I think mm-hmm. there's an opportunity for that discourse and learning amongst the artists too, and amongst the, in the culture as well. It's all about learning and, and getting that knowledge and understanding at the end of the exactly. Day. So I, I'm going to to switch it up just a little bit cool. because I want you to tell everybody about your books and uh, that you've written and um, the titles and the content and what you're trying to do with uh, your books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, in um, 2016, you know, my doctorate journey, so I'm a doctor of social work. I'm a licensed clinical mm-hmm. social worker here in New Jersey. And during my doctorate journey, um, as you could imagine, you know, it could be stressful, you know, and I and I had this, like, I'm a, I'm a writer, right? So I'm a, I'm a artist at heart. And, you know, I sort of transitioned into this stage of using my, my phone to write more. So every day mm-hmm. I was writing these um, positive messages to myself, like, really doing self-talk and self-encouragement and and just maybe even just reflecting on my journey and how stressful it is. It wasn't all great, good stuff. Sometimes it was less challenging times. Like I have a family, you know, that I'm trying to take care of while I'm trying to get this, you know, doctorate as well. And um, I, I started to put stuff in my phone and then I would share it. And I would share it with people just to encourage them. And a couple of people would ask me to uh, repost it or if they could post it. And then before I know it, I knew it. Somebody said, man, this should you should make this a book. And I was like, yeah, OK. So I said, maybe I could, you know, and I had everything in my phone. So honestly, all I did was take these ways of encouraging people and transform it into my first book. And I used to always write them in the morning. So hence, that's my first book. It's called Good Mornings. Let me show you there. Um, you got the little alarm clock. It's called Good Mornings Wake Up Calls for Life. Because when I used to write, that was my wake up call. Like that was my way of like talking about gratitude, talking about encouraging myself, talking about persevering, being able to um, be at one with the feelings I was feeling, and. And just wanting the people to know, like, the morning time is a great opportunity to set the tone for the day. It doesn't have to be the only time when you read my books, but it's a great way to sort of get your your, your mindset in the space of where you want to be ultimately throughout the day. So that was the book, first book, and then in the midst of 2020, um, and everything was going on from... The, the 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 racism, the civil unrest, or the discrimination, the the marches, and I just felt like, you know, and I was marching too. I was bringing my kids with me, and we was out in the streets, and and I was just like, I want to give people something to encourage them because at the same time, obviously the pandemic hit, and it was just like a, it was just a tough time, and I was like, I want to inject some good energy. You know, so that's why I came with the second book was called Good Vibes with Dr. S. Like, it's just a passage of like positive stories on self-care and, you know, black self-care at that. Like I was talking about, you know, purpose and your dreams. And I talked about relationships and healing. And I just want people to know that they can get through these difficult, challenging times that we're facing 
And I was talking about solidarity and how we need to stick together. And so my books are just easy reads because it was also another way to introduce people to this space of mental health and wellness because it's very practical. They're all It's like the language. It's, it's, I removed all the clinical jargon and all the stuff that I know I wouldn't want to read. You know, I tried to give people something that they could just embrace. So whenever people say, well, how do I introduce somebody that doesn't want to go to therapy or never been to therapy? How can I do it? My first thing I say is you can start with the book and you guys can read passages together. You can form small book groups. They're easy passages. I'm serious. Like there's like, imagine what you would write in your phone, like in the note section. I just transformed that. It has a lot of white space. So places for people to write. It has a couple of questions, reflection statements. So it's very, just an easy read on both fronts. So you know, it was really just being able to introduce people to just this world of being able to feel better at the end of the day. I'm actually taking notes. That's why you see me keep looking down. It's all good. As I'm right now. It's all good. Yeah. It's, I'm it's right good. now. I'm right down what you're saying. Got my notebook. I love it. I love it. Yeah, we just, we trying to get people, we just trying to get people we trying to get that, ignite something within people. And the books is a, the, the book is a, a easy way to sort of do it. And I love when people could do it together. I've had parents buy books for their older kids. I've had parents buy partners, buy stuff for their spouses. Mm -hmm. and, and they read it together or they share the, the messages with each other. And it's been part of book clubs and things like that. So it's, it's, it's been really great, the response that I've been getting. It's available. Both are available on Amazon as well for people to pick up and, and get. And I'll, um, I will attach them to the description. So I'll yes. even make it easy for you. You just click the link click and the then link. go buy it. <laughs> easy. And also the pricing, you know, that's the thing, too. I'm talking, you know, $10, $12 for a book. That so mm -hmm. I wanted that price point to be that way because I did not want there to be. I want to try to remove the obstacles um, mm -hmm. a lot of times that sort of get in the way or that could lead to excuses that we sometimes make for why we can't do certain things. So um, I wanted to support people in that way as well. So uh, I, I want to talk about uh, your hip hop career in the nineties. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to talk about so much. I'm all running all into myself. It's but all good. <laughs> let's talk about your hip hop career in the '90s first. Yeah, like um, you know that was a that's that was a wonderful time for for not just me, but just like my 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 comrades, my brothers as well. We was just heavy studio rats. Like we was in we was in the basement. If you could imagine what an underground basement would be where you walk in and there's always somebody on the ASR-10, which is the keyboard that we use, banging out a, a drum pattern or somebody's, we were vinyl rats too. So we were traveling different places and just buying vinyl and somebody would be like listening to a sample or, or stripping something or taking something. So my, I became, a, I was an MC that 
sort of came into production as well because we all had these creative spaces. We were all different MCs. You all had different styles. So we had different sounds that we like. I was more of like the melodic sort of sounds. That's what I was into. So I was always like drum patterns and looking for samples and things like that. So we came together, we formed this group called Third Degree. And it's funny, before I was coming, it was like I was getting in the mindset of Boom Bap. I was listening to this a single that we put out in 1998. Um, we put out one single that we pressed up on our by ourselves that had an A side and a B side. A side was called Nobody's Business. And the B side was called Travel Through the Darkness. So it was a three-man group. We all produced, we all did music. We were sort of like, if you could imagine, like a mix of like the beat nuts mixed with like tribe, tribe mixed with mob deep. It was like we were doing like all these different like ways of being the three man producers, but the three man MCs, the three MCs as well. And we put out this single, and I was just listening to it coming in and it, it was just, it got so much great response back then, but I didn't realize the response that it got because YouTube wasn't around then. And I go on YouTube now. I went on YouTube today and the single had like 40,000 views and like 30, 35 comments. Like, how can I get this? Like, Where's this at? And I'm reading it. I'm like, we put this out in 1998. This is our group. This is my lyrics. And people are still sort of feeling it today. And it was just so, and me and my boy, we have conversations about re-releasing the single, or we have some 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 material that we thinking about putting out again maybe next year that is like, people were like, did y'all put out an album? And we actually did, we have an album. Um, we put out <laughs> we put we put an album out that was sort of like only in the hands of a selective few people, but we still have the we have the CD. So we're thinking about like why don't we put it back out, but like on a you know on iTunes or you know one of the uh you know one of the independent routes and give it to the people you know and and reintroduce us. Because we still all love music, we our, all our conversations around music. Um, so we're thinking about that for 2022. So stay tuned; it might be some some things in the works. So that was nobody's nobody's Doing business. It. And what was the other one? Nobody's business and travel through the darkness. All you got to do is go on YouTube and type in Third Degree. It's a red label. You'll see a big three and an RD in it's people that have been trying to get the vinyl. We put out, because remember, we were 1998. We were still young. We didn't even know. We were like, we pressed up maybe 300 copies out of our own pockets. And I guess whoever got it, you know, Stretch and Barbito played it one time. Um, you know, a couple of underground local radio stations, like college stations, would, would play a couple of the songs, play the single. And then, like, we, me and my boy, we on YouTube, just you know, let's Google, let's YouTube, see if anybody got it. And all of a sudden, people are like, I'm looking for that. And, you know, I paid, like, somebody paid, like, $200 for the single, the vinyl. I'm like, 
and somebody the first comment in the uh the 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 channel that has 40,000 views they were like we we're, we're listening to this in Poland I was like what and me and my boy always talk about like we should have pressed it more like pressed it more but like we should have really pushed it more cuz we had no idea you know we knew it was dope you know but you never really know until people overseas start rocking to you cuz it was boom back like y'all are here to y'all are here the single and y'all will say like this is this is classic sort of 90s drum sounds beats lyrics subject matter for sure but I, I found that uh, that most European countries are really traditional hip hop. Yeah, they like the essence of it, and it's so dope to see mm -hmm. artists from that '90s ever be able to travel overseas and still be able to. Um, you know, represent the culture, but also be able to provide for themselves. Like mm -hmm. they go overseas and and make money because people will pay to come out and see a a, a Smith and Wesson show, right? They want to yeah. see they want to see you know, Buck, you know, um, Buck Wild, or they want to see somebody perform that they Master heard Ace. about in the states. Master Ace, uh, Cool G, Rap, you know, all these artists that can still channel live like you know like but they won't come to texas you know they can see it live and it's so dope that they they respect it to that level i'm gonna get some i'm gonna get somebody to come to texas they won't we gotta get somebody like we we're from jersey so we were rocking out with like the lords of the underground the artifacts like like you know, we had obviously naughty by nature, Tretch, Those are all like we we had our little representation in 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 Red Jersey Man. hip hop. Red, what the album? I, I, actually one of my favorite albums. I remember driving. I had like a little like I think I had like a little hatchback, and I was listening to what the album. So I turned it up so hard that you know because it was like, what is this man doing? Like in terms of the skits and the sounds and Eric Sermon, what he was doing, orchestrating, it was just such a beautiful time in music for me, you know. So that whole '90s era for me was like the stamp. Like I fell in love, deeper in love with the music in that in that era for sure. Mm hmm. We definitely go and put that vinyl out, please. We gotta get that vinyl. We gotta get the CDs out officially. Now yeah. that Bandcamp is around. It's really yeah. That's what we were talking about. We was like, there's no reason not to to put it out. And I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not, it's a humble brag. The music on it is incredible. Like it's it's like out. We were we were in the zone with that album. I want to say it's like 14 songs of just like gems, like from everything was so planned out in terms of the sounds and the samples and you know the lyrics and like the subject matter and the, you know it, it was it's a it's I can't wait for people to hear it so um, so I'm gonna find that for y'all too and put it in the description. Listen, that that's that didn't even come out. I'm giving them a I'm giving them like a little you know they could get an intro. What's the Easter egg? Yeah, like you're gonna have to search for that. But when it drops, 
you know, it's and we don't have to. Oh, it sounds amazing, CD quality. So you know, it's, uh, ready, it's ready to go. And I think it's nothing wrong with a little crackle and pop, and you know, you hear that sound that just like takes you back to like that that feeling. And you heard it you here know, first on Powerful Exclusive. Twenty twenty two summer. It comes out on CD, vinyl, cassette. This and, and, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna give respect to Powerful Impact because I was listening to the single on the way here. I'm in my office recording this right now, and I'm in a car, and I'm like, I'm going to do Powerful Impact. I'm get I'm in that vibe. I'm in that space. Let me listen to my own stuff from the 1998. <laughs> I returned it up loud in the car. Listen to the kicks, the drums, the sounds. Like it was. So y'all, 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 the inspiration behind it. So I'm calling my boy tomorrow. I'm like, it's gonna happen. We gotta put this together. I got, I, I, y'all gonna hear it here first. You gotta bring me back. We gotta do something of here. Course, of course, of course. And any release that you do next, you gotta put it together like a bundle, man. That's what this show is about. Powerful impact here to inspire, motivate, elevate. That's what's up, man. Appreciate it. Much love for sure. So you are a super busy man. So yeah, let's but, talk about your podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm busy, but I'm busy like very um things I Fun love, things I enjoy. Yeah, like mm -hmm. you know, so the podcast. Um, you know, I wanted to just again being a creative, I wanted to get into different spaces and and you know being behind the mic is something that I you know I just grew up doing it and. The podcast space was something that allowed me to 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 to, to show another level of uh, of my creativity. So from everything from you know recording the episodes to uh, thinking about the subject matter in in the frequency in which I wanted to drop episodes and and all those things. You know the Mental Hot Podcast is available on all platforms. You know Spotify, Apple, Google. You know, they could get it there and it's literally mental hop, you know, with Dr. S. And it's not all about hip hop. You know, it's all about really about because I am hip hop. I always take it like any space that I am in, I'm in hip hop is going to be present because as long as I'm there, you going to feel hip hop when I when I speak on, you know, seasonal affective disorder, which is sad, which a lot of people are experiencing now due to the the the. Uh, the lack of sunlight and our mood changing. So I'm I'm really taking mental health and wellness um, ideas and nuances and making them very practical and understanding. So uh, understandable. So I'm talking about purpose. I'm talking about um, healing. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about um, narcissistic behaviors like gaslighting and things of that nature. Things that our people know exist, but we don't put the language to it, or maybe we just, you know, never heard that this is actually a condition or this is a diagnosis. And I'm really just bringing it into like that, that, that audio form, like so people could put it in or listen to it on their drive or while they're driving. So again, just like the books, it's just another way to bring people in to this idea that they deserve to heal. And you can do it in different ways. And maybe the podcast can be the beginnings of that for people as well.
SP, you're muted. Oh, I said that's that's dope. Okay, I just took a little break real quick. Hold on. They they uh I'm I'm I'll be right with you. It's all good. I'm sorry. Can I you want me to ask a question and keep going? Uh yeah, you can, but I'm uh okay. This is taking too long. Hold on. I wonder if I should. Yeah, I can just talk. I guess we can keep flowing, and I guess you can edit it. Um, so let's talk about your merchandise being sold on your website and social media platforms. Like, what's available there? You showed us the books, but what else is available there? Because I've definitely checked it out, and I've seen a lot of goodies. And the uh, holidays are coming up, so let the people know what they can get. Yeah, is 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 um again just one of those spaces, man, where I was just trying, not trying, I was just like, I'm gonna get this message of hip hop, mental health, healing out there to the people. And again, what other better way to do it than some t-shirts, some hoodies, some hats? So mentalhop.com, that's the website. Mentalhop.com. You click on the website. I got stuff on resilience. I got um caps that say empathy on it because I wanted to introduce people to this idea of what empathy was and what empathy means. And, you know, like maybe you saw the cap and you didn't really know what the word meant. So you like Googled it or you researched it and it meant like being able to, to put yourself in the shoes of, of somebody else and being able to, uh, you know, connect and, and be compassionate towards somebody else. So, you know, it was really about, and I also had something that was called, you know, I had some hoodies that was wealthy in love because there was always this talk on social media. It was big on like trying to get to the bag. So I was like showing this bag that was traditionally a bag of money, but it had a heart in the middle of it or it had a peace sign in the middle of it. So it was like, I'm wealthy in love, man. I'm wealthy in peace. Like I might not have, you know, like a million dollars in the bank. But I'm a solid individual. I'm a I'm a I'm a person that emits love to one another. That's just as valuable as having a million dollars. I'm at peace with who I More am. More valuable. More valuable. And you know, because I'm at peace, not I'm admitting that and I'm releasing that. Then somebody else that is in a state of a storm might be able to pick up on that peace just from reading my shirt or reading my hoodie or seeing my cap. So it was just another way for me, again, to be able to say to people, we can really embrace this. We don't have to be afraid anymore of healing, of, of mental health. Like we can, we, can, we, we, we pulling back the curtains now and saying like, we're bringing things that used to be hidden from us that we weren't allowed to share our feelings and share our emotions or we were punished if we talked out of place, so to speak, not anymore. Now we're saying, you know what? It's, we're embracing this idea that there's more for us. We don't have to be in survival mode. Like we could go from surviving to thriving. And one of the ways we could do that is being able just to be more educated, more aware of what that looks like and what that feels like. And if clothing helps ignite that for our people, then I'm, I'm all for it. And that's what I'm trying to do. I want to change gears for a quick second here. Mm -hmm. I love, I, hey, 
the reason why now is because of something I was thinking about, and I love what you said about the wealth inside. Um, I'm happy you said that earlier. Um, I'm really like fulfilled from what I'm doing. But that definitely takes like a piece of coal, right? Going through the fiery furnace, becoming a diamond, and then shining. Oh, I got bars. Um, what do you say to like black men or people of color in general that are moving up the social ladder, getting education, moving into professional spaces? We have all these terms now, right? Microaggressions, X, Y, and Z, uh, systemic racism, this and that. And you said, I was stressed out while I was going to get my PhD. What advice do you give people who are riding or going this lonely path, the road less traveled? I mean, even you being Dr. S, you're a percentage of a percentage of a percent. You know that. 1% mm -hmm. of a 1% of a way, a percent of a percent of a percent. Fact. So, and they use the word, they, they you know, these nice colorful words, the unicorn, right? Mm -hmm. the, uh, the outlier. Mm -hmm. What is the advice or, um, yeah, I guess that's it. That's simple enough. What's the advice you would give to people traveling that road to mm -hmm. get to where you are now? You mm -hmm. know what I mean? In any profession, it doesn't have to be your profession, just in general. Those people that are attorneys, mm -hmm. engineers, like you said before, blacks in tech. Mm -hmm. Just what would, what would you, what would be the bread, breadcrumbs or blueprint you would give to that person thinking about going into school? Going to school or working in a place and like, man, I'm underappreciated, overworked, undervalued, mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. That's a long mm -hmm. question. Sorry. Nah, it's dope. Like multiple things come to mind. I mean, you know, I did my dissertation at the time when I was deciding what I wanted to do my dissertation on. And the dissertation is a research study that you do when you're getting your doctorate. And when I when I was deciding what I wanted to do. I could have did anything in regards to um, working in our communities. I was talking about chronic community violence. I was talking about the educational system, educational reform. I was talking about mental health for our youth and our young people. I was talking about um, even educational in terms of uh, attendance issues or parenting. And the thing I decided to do my dissertation on was self-care. I did my dissertation on self-care to mitigate burnout. So all those other things I was studying, I decided to do this because I was coming into contact with people who were already burnt out before they had walked or got into whatever professional field of study or career place that they wanted to, that they aspired to get to, they were already tapped out because there were so many pressures and, and, and expectations and, you know, trying to move up the ladder here or trying to hold down the family here. And one of the things I would say right away is self-care is paramount. No matter what industry or field that you're in, we do not talk about self-care. We do not talk about it in our schools. We do not even learn about it until later on. At that point, we're already um, we're, we're in a reactive position. Self-care is a proactive approach which means it's really like a lifestyle change in the mindset and where you, you travel and you journey. My sex, so self-care, number one. So number two is don't lose yourself in the midst of all this. What happens is like, I think we get so caught up in the ideals of what we're trying to become 
that we lose who we are. If you lose who you are, you're always going to be chasing, trying to see what's next, what's next, what's next, because you're losing sight of who you are inside, internally. So, and I mean this in the most respectful way. None of this matters if you lose yourself. Because then you're you're attaching yourself to an ideal that somebody else created, or you're burning yourself out to try to accomplish something, but losing yourself in the meantime. So, you know, that's what I would definitely say. Like, make sure you don't lose yourself and remember your why. Like, remember why you wanted to do that thing. Remember the love that you had when you first said, I want to do this. So full circle is a beautiful thing because I started with hip hop. Then I went into mental health. Then I circled, I'm back in hip hop. That thing that you love will always be present as long as you remember that that's the reason you begin. That's the why. So that's what I would say to people. Like, you know, start to understand that is keep that love in my boys, my, my, my brother, who's part of the um, third degree, but he's not in the field that, of mental health. Part. He he's in, he's in, he's in a different field. Every time I could call him right now. And if he got music playing, I guarantee he's listening to Gangstar, beat nuts. Like we're in our forties. Like he, at any point in time, he got tribe on. Like the love he has for that era is where he's at. And I love that about him. Cause I I'll, I'll, I'll tell him like I listen to everything. He knows that about me. Like I'm I throw on NBA Young Boy because I work with young people. So I gotta, I'm tuning in, trying to see, okay, what's let's see. I'm trying to because I hear trauma, I hear narratives, I hear stories every day. So you know, it's just one of those things like keep the love close. Like, you know, find that love again. Don't lose that love. If you lost it, find that again. You know, don't forget your why and practice from a place of self-care. Move from a place of self-care. And that should help you in this on this journey for sure. All right. I'm going to ask... Uh just kind of continuing on that, what advice, what's some advice you would give to someone wanting to get into the profession of being a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist? Mm -hmm. Great question. I would, and I get this question a lot, like on social media and, you know, even from students that want to go into this space. I would definitely say, I would start with those questions. Why do you want to do it? Right. So what is what is the reasoning? Tell me about the why. And most important, most of the time, what I, which I love people, sometimes they'll just say, I just I want to help. Like I, I see an issue, I see a challenge or I've experienced something in my life and I've overcame that. And I want to be able to help empower somebody else that may be going through that. So I always say it's just like hip hop, like it starts with. I might start with a baseline. I might start with a drum. I might start with the, I start with the, the foundation. What do you want to build from this? And that can evolve. So, you know, once I get that, I would just say, encourage people to 
begin in just helping, you know, because a lot of times this field, this work is like, it, most of the people that do it, I feel like they it's who they are. You know, it's their helpers. They want to give back. Even if they didn't have a title, they'll be wanting, they want to help people. So I would say originally just get, I started doing like mentoring. You know, I would, before I was a therapist or counselor, I was a, I was a mentor. I just had, I wanted to find the opportunity for me to help others, you know, help young people. So I was like that big brother that would take care. I was taking kids to basketball courts, taking them to the mall. I was just having conversation and dialogue, trying to help them see how life is. And then from there, I would say, you know, I'm a social worker. So I would say, look at different professions. There's different ways that you can help as well. And we need people from all in all spaces, you know, whether it's a social worker like me, whether it's a psychologist, whether it's a psychiatrist who's actually a doctor. Some people don't even, they may not understand that the differences between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. One prescribes medicine. The psychiatrist prescribes meds. Psychologists can't prescribe meds. So I think just doing research and seeing that there's different helping professionals and change agents available. And then once you do that, you know, um, you know, look at different programs, different certificates that you could get. Um, what type of education do you need in order to do the work that you want? Because so many people will hit me, um, Nev, and they'll be like, I, I want to get my doctorate. Like, I want to become a doctor. And I, my first question, and I'm not discouraging, my first question is, do you have to pay for it? Because it's expense. Like, it costs money. And a lot of things people can do, they might not even need a house. They might not easily. Need, they don't need the title to do the things that they tell me they want to do. So I'm not discouraging. I'm being as a person who went that route. I'm telling you, there, there may be other routes that you could take that could get you to that end result that you're trying to get to. So please do your research as well. And most importantly, be authentic. Do it from the heart. Like, don't like ulterior motives and titles, all those things sound good, but don't lead with that. You have to lead from a place of authenticity, or your work is going to reflect that, or your lack of work will reflect that because people won't rock with you the same, or you won't make an impact, powerful impact, boom from the can. You won't make the impact unless you unless you do it from a place of authenticity um, in terms of the impact you really want to make, especially in this this um, space that we're in. Facts, man. And I love that how you said, um, basically you were the mentor, counselor. Um, were there any books, any courses, anything else other than hands-on experience that pushed you in that way? Because I feel for me, like mm -hmm. the generic um, term is always, I didn't choose it, it chose me. But in a way, that's how it happened. It happened yeah. from this yeah. job to that job to that job. And at that time, you could get in many more doors with the bachelors. Now, that is narrowing. It's taking the license to get it. Not even the master's. It's taking the license to get your mm -hmm. footing into certain places now. Mm -hmm. So you can't even really experiment and get the flavor or the taste for something until you get to a certain level. But when we came in, you could kind of, you know, what is it? Be blindfolded and find your way through the forest. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I just want to ask that. Is there anything that you could recommend or or did it happen the same way like me? <laughs> just put yeah, the table on the Boom. Honestly, you know it. honestly, what happened was I was like, like, like 
I kind of like fell into it to a degree because I was always a helper. I was always a helper. I wanted to help people. And then when I got the opportunity to be like that big brother, that mentor, I fell in love with this idea of being, that's why I specialize in working with young people because I fell in love with this idea of being able to help a young person who was in a situation a lot of times that maybe they didn't even sign up for because it might've been something that their parents were doing or that the community things that were going on in the community. So, you know, for me, it was sort of like that organic, you know, approach, because honestly, I didn't read a lot of psychology books and things like that. I was reading stuff on like, you know, wealth building and entrepreneurship. And, you know, I was looking at trying to help my community in the way, because I only looked at that time as what I knew was like economically, I wanted to build something that people can sort of have and that they could go to. So those are kind of things. Financial literacy. Yeah, that's that's how kind of, but it was still in that helping space because that's where my heart was at. But then when I realized that language and exchange and, you know, sharing of feelings and listening, sometimes it would just be in a car, listen to a young pe- person talk and how they would feel after just having someone that would just listen to them let me know that that was wealthy, that was valuable, that was that, that, like you said, the coal that moved into that state of the diamond just from allowing that sort of um, transfer to occur. So so I would say like, there's so much material out there, but I loved actually doing the work because I just think sometimes you could get caught up in like, that's somebody else's story and it does have value, but you also have a story and there's something about you that you could bring into that space that no one else can do. And that's how we get people who are really moving from a, from a place of this very, you know, a very organic. And this is my, this is who I am into this world because, you know, there's, it's like music, man. Like it's hip hop. Like it's so many different, it's like a cheesecake factory menu. Like there's so many items and things that you could do and you could do it in your own way and you could be creative. And I'm mixing hip hop and mental health. Whoever knew, like I didn't even know, I didn't hear about anybody doing it the way I'm doing it um, before I started doing it. And that's like, I got that from hip hop, you know, like take chances, take risks, you know, try something, you know, it might not work. You know, I did so many, as you know, um, Neb, like, you know, in SP, I'm sure you do too. Like I'm in a studio experimenting with sounds. I, I would do whole songs and just trash them. Like I never put them out. Like I'll create a whole beat that took me three hours and then I'll just click off the machine and don't save it. Like it's really about trying to find, you know, that, that, that groove and that thing that like feels good to you so you can present it to the people so you can help others. And that's, that's the the bridge again, between this mental health and this hip hop thing called mental hop for me. It's really like they go hand in hand in terms of how my mind operates. Yeah, that's what's up. So let me go here now. This is, this is, this is that movie. What's that movie? Tenet with uh, Denzel Washington's son. So when the people are checking this out now, we're going to be in 2022. We're not mm-hmm. there right now, but this mm-hmm. will be 2022, and it'll be um, Health Month. 
But this month that we're in currently, which is the end of the movie at the beginning of the movie, this month is Men's Mental Health Month. Mm-hmm. So statistics have shown that African-American males in particular have had a spike in suicide rates, and the rate of suicide has actually doubled within the last year of the pandemic. What factors, Dr. S., do you think have contributed to the spike and increase in suicide rates, particularly among black men in America? Wow, that's an excellent question, man. I, I, I have been doing some things lately on trauma in um, doing these presentations and talks on trauma. And, and I've been doing it on this idea of little t, which are the traumas, the daily things that we experience and go through on a regular basis. Pockets is on E, um, infidelity, cheating, um, stress, you know, continuous, like really strong, stressful situations, internal conflicts and stresses that we have. And then this big T, which is like, you know, living in a pandemic, you know, the, uh, you know, robberies, the crimes, living in certain areas. And obviously you got car accidents and, and even like, even death, like seeing someone pass away. So we got this big T and this little T and I'm talking about for black men. We don't talk about the trauma that we often experience on a day-to-day basis because we never labeled it as trauma. We never saw it as trauma. We saw it as this things we go through, like like we just got to push through it. And what happens is we suppress because we are experiencing something that we don't talk about, that we don't know, we, we don't put a name on it. We can't even identify if it's something that really is problematic. Then we just keep pushing along. And remember, men, black men, we got this thing where, you know, we got we got to keep it moving or this resilience that's sort of been pressed on us. Just be strong. You know, so because of that, sometimes you can have this resilience that's actually that actually hurts you because you're trying to go and do it on your own. And it's heavy. And that heaviness over time, because you don't release it and you don't talk about it, it starts to weigh you down. And because it weighs you down, it turns into this heaviness, turns into depression and sadness, again, that you never talked about. And because you never talk about it, you hold it in within and it festers. And what you're trying to do, you want to escape that so bad that you may move into this, you know, not into this idea of like, committing suicide, but this death by suicide, because I want to alleviate the pain, the hurt, the trauma, the things that I'm going through on a regular basis that nobody knows, the, the, the wars I'm battling that I don't talk about because I never had a safe space to talk about it because back in historically, Black men weren't allowed to even talk about their feelings. And if we did, we were punished. If we got punished, everybody around us would get put, get punished. Can you imagine back in the day, historically, you stepping out of line and saying, I'm angry about this, or I hate this, or I want to do this, or I'm sad. You would be punished and abused, and not only you, the family that you were providing for will also be punished. So what do we do? We don't say nothing. Just keep hammering it away, keep being strong. So... Unfortunately, what happens is, especially during these times of the pandemic, financial reasons is a major issue. And we call that little T. 
that's that trauma that people don't talk about. When your pockets is on E and you don't have a means to support your family because your job, you know, released you or, you know, COVID hit and you don't have a place to work, you know, those are all things that start to build up over time. And we just, our men need to know that there is, there are other options for them and they need safe spaces to be able just to release the things that they're experiencing on a daily basis. I do have a question for you, Dr. S, and if, if that's fine for me, call you Dr. S, and I'm of glad course. you're here. I'm glad you're here because I think one of the challenges we have as black men is that we don't feel that we have a safe place where we can express some of the struggles we have because throughout history, you were considered weak if you showed emotions. I mean, you have a father in the house, and he wouldn't even tell his son that he loved him because that was a sign of weakness. And now, you know, because the new generation we're in now, you know, I have a son. He's only about 10 years old. And mm -hmm. so I feel the need to tell him that because I didn't get that. I didn't have my father in my household. I grew up among women. That was my environment. That was the that's what taught me. And that's what shaped me as a man. You know, saying my understanding of manhood was either based on what I saw on TV or what I thought a man should be. And mm -hmm. so my, my goal and one of my challenges is to break that cycle and be in my son's life, no matter what goes on, so he can understand what a man is. So my question is this, is that you mentioned how we have, the, we're, we're seeing an increase, and Nev, thank you for that question, we're seeing an increase as far as um, suicidal rates among, and let me, and correct me if I'm wrong, among men or just in black culture as a whole. What is your advice? Who, let's say right now we have a man that's struggling right now. He's suicidal, he's depressed. He fit. Now we're dealing with COVID and we're dealing with so many things. We feel like, I don't want to live no more. I want to give up. What kind of information or what type of insight would you provide for him to talk him off of the ledge? What would you share in this instance? If you mm -hmm. don't mind doing that. Of course. I think the mm -hmm. first thing that we always do is an assessment. So I want to assess the risk of, of suicide, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously if there's something immediate, yeah. this person is a danger to themselves because they they have a plan of action, mm -hmm. then immediately we want to get them stabilized and safe. And I always tell people that if you mm -hmm. feel like you're at a point in which you are, you have a plan, then and I want you to go to the nearest emergency room just like you would, or mm -hmm. there's helplines, suicide hotlines in which you can call. Okay. And what they do is try to support you and you want to bring bring down that that risk level. So you're mm. trying to get that person that might be at a level 10 because they have a plan of action. You're trying to get them to, to bring that down so we can get them in a position to be able to receive help. That's mm. what happens when you go to a hospital. And a lot of times we don't even think that we can go to a hospital. And I, bring, I break it down that easy. Just, mm. as like, just as you would go to a hospital for a broken leg. If you are at a point where you feel like the only other option is to take your life, I want you to drive to the emergency room and tell them, and you can whisper it to them, you can say, I don't feel like myself. I feel like this, I don't have any option. I got to get out of here. That kind of language um, signifies that you're at a place that they need to, to get you mm -hmm. that treatment immediately. Mm -hmm. I, sometimes we try to get friends to talk to them and when they're at that state, that's not what they need. They really mm -hmm. need that immediate help because they need a trained professional that's going to be able to help. 
Now, there's another risk level where there's somebody who has suicidal thoughts. They don't have a plan, but it comes in and out like waves. They think about it sometimes. For those individuals, we need, for both individuals, we need that support system. We need people like, we need people that can encourage us. And, and then we need people that can actually walk us to okay. professional help that we need. Okay. Counselors, therapists. Somebody that can help us again. We're trying to bring down that risk level, and that mm. can take time. And mm. that alone is hard, as you can imagine. Um, sure. so wrecked just to be sure. able to get somebody to feel safe enough to be able to say to you that they feel that way. So mm. that's often what why we miss it because we don't even give, we don't have, we don't give people the 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 environment in which they feel like the trust in which they feel that they could tell you something that's so intimate and vulnerable and you won't utilize it in the way that judges them or stigmatizes them so they can feel comfortable to tell us because often we don't find out. You'll see parents mm. don't know, family members, they say, well, we could tell something was up, but he never said anything. They're not going to say anything. You know, it's not unless mm -hmm. the space is safe enough to be able to do that. So mm. that's what I would say in just a really short Thank easy you. way to understand it just if if you're at that point i want you to get that help professional help immediately you know and there's hotlines and places that you can most states have a suicide helpline is a national suicide mm -hmm. helpline that people can call and get some support immediately thank you for sharing that dr esman that was perfect and and just one more thing just to piggyback on what you're saying great great setup the alley-oop also, you people, you want to know whether it's people around them. You want to know if they have a time frame. Do they have a plan of action? Like, I'm doing this tomorrow, mm -hmm. a week from now, I'm thinking of it. Or what means are they going to do that? What way are they, are they telling you to hang in, whatever? Uh, there's even passive ways of doing it. I'm going to make of a course. police officer harm mm -hmm. me or shoot me, whatever. So it's just like that, too. Time frame and means. Just and can, those are and can I add on to that, Nev? Yeah, man. Add yeah, on man. to that. The reason why Nev is sharing that is because mm -hmm. we want to be able to monitor and help remove things that mm -hmm. might be potential. Um, you know, we always do those the assessments. Are there any mm -hmm. weapons in the home? You know, is there, you know, if they say like, you know, they're going to pick up a gun, you know, we want to try to remove those things that mm -hmm. could potentially be harmful to them especially when they're in that place and that's why a lot of times we need to get them out of that environment and a, nobody really wants to go to a hospital for any reason even if it's physical health related but part of the reason is you need that professional training but also you might need an environment that's conducive to you beginning to heal and beginning to feel better again and that's getting away from whatever that is the root causes of it and it might be environmental but it also could be internal as well so um, those are things that could get sorted out in those spaces as well the other added layer that's so sad now is the pandemic right mm -hmm. who wants to go to the hospital who wants and i think that becomes yeah. now another obstacle Good point. as well so i have to watch yeah. the triggers but damn now i gotta go into the hospital because I know me, I'm 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 not suicidal, but I know I'm agoraphobic. I don't want to be around too many people. So if I'm going through that type of thought now, it's like now you got now I have to put myself at another set of risk, another set of trauma that would trigger me. And that and that's I think funny. that's another piece of it too. And that isolated feeling of like, okay, I know what I could do, but I'm afraid to even do that. 
So that's another piece. Yeah, it's such a barrier. Right now, it's been hard, and that's why we see this increase, and that's why that support system is so important. Like, we need to check on each other, and as as men and as black men, we 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 got to have, you know how you ask the question to your boy, you're like, you know, how's everything yeah. going? They say, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you get that, I'm okay. That's all good. Nah, I'm, I'm, good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, nah. you cool. You say that. Yeah, it's, I'm the, it's, the, it's the next question. Mm-hmm. It's the second question. It's the third question. The oh, follow-up to that, that mm-hmm. we have to get comfortable asking each other that we're not, that we have to get comfortable with receiving from our boys too, because mm-hmm. you know sometimes your boy actually a follow up, and you look at him like, "What's going on with you? Why are you in my because, business?" Yeah, like because we haven't been, we've been conditioned to do the exact opposite, to be angry with each other, to be questioning mm-hmm. if our boy is asking us something that evokes some mm-hmm. level of vulnerability or something that contradicts this idea that. You know, masculinity means, you know, or to be a man means to be strong 24-7. There's emotional strength. There's emotional vulnerability. And that's what we're trying to, with Mental Hop, is really like reframing and changing the narrative with our men and saying, no, you you deserve to heal too, brother. Like, you deserve Mm -hmm. to have a space where you can share openly what you're going through. And I'm here to listen. Not necessarily always to give advice. Maybe I'm just here to give you that safe landing spot where you could just share and, and I'll be present. And that's sometimes that's sometimes all our men need sometimes as well. You, you know, I'm for and one thing I'm I'm grateful about powerful impact that we're not tied into one voice. Like we have a person that's a doctor on the line that can speak to mental health because. It's one thing to dance to the music, but you can still go home depressed. And so we need we need to deal with every aspect of the man or the human being. So again, I want to gratefully say again, I'm glad that you're here tonight. I do have a question because when you look at hip hop as a whole, and I'm, I want you to speak to the mental aspect of it because you're seeing where there are hip hop artists that are dying prematurely. And most of it, and I hate to say it, is drug related or they may have some other situation that's going on behind the scenes that we're unwilling to talk about because it's like a taboo type of thing what can we do to and you kind of spoke about a little bit more but you have like different people and i want to name them i'll let you if you need to do that what can we do to kind of preserve our hip-hop legends or people that are in that state of mind and i I know you kind of spoke to it but you you know that's fighting against drugs because obviously there's something going on internally that we're not talking about. Mm-hmm. What can we do to help these people if they're in our circle, or you know, you know the um, what is his name, um, the guy from um, Digital Underground? Forgive me. Um, you know, we found that it was G- hey, Shock G. yeah, Shock G. Mm-hmm. You know, we we we, and I want to again. I don't want to pinpoint nobody and say they had a problem, but you know, we heard about DMX and so many different others. What can we do as a community to reach out to these people? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, that's a great question because yeah. we are seeing it, and it would be almost it wouldn't be right for us not to explore what is going on with our artists because we're losing mm-hmm. so many of them that are sure. super talented and 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 some of them so young. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I talked about before was this idea of ruminating, and this mm-hmm. happens in music a lot where you sort of like use music as an escape. 
And in that escape, in listening to the music or doing the music, you're talking about maybe if you drink or you smoke. So there's a mm-hmm. level of self-medicating that might be going on, more than likely is going on. A lot of people don't even realize that they are self-medicating. They just think I'm smoking because I like to smoke or I drink mm-hmm. because I like to drink. But sometimes what's happening is because of our experiences, because of our environment, we pick up a habit that actually lets us or helps us feel better or calms us and settles us so we think. So we become addicted. We see addiction take place. And then we start talking about it because that's what we do. We rap about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. The problem is we're ruminating. It's a cycle. So mm-hmm. in hip hop, we hear a lot of that part of it, but we never really hear about the part where you pull yourself out of the cycle. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part we have to get into. It's not enough to talk about our suffering all the time and not talk about our healing. So mm-hmm. we have to introduce to people that we love and that we care about that, yes, you are in a tough time. You've been through some difficult things. You had some traumatic experiences. You grew up without a dad. You grew up without mm-hmm. a mom. You grew up in this very violent community. Um, you grew up not having certain things. That's the suffering. But let me introduce you to this idea of healing. You mm-hmm. deserve, in spite of the things that you've been through, you deserve, there's more available for you. In order to get to that place of thriving from surviving or getting getting by, we now have to get to the root cause of what has happened to you. We okay. now have to talk about it and we have to open up about it. And once we start to open up about it, we can start to fill those voids with meaningful things instead of mm-hmm. filling those voids with, with drugs, alcohol, mm-hmm. sex, all the things that we hear in the music, what a lot of people complain about and that they don't like is because often we get stuck in that cycle of ruminating about that and we don't know how to pull ourselves out of it. Thank you. Since you said that, um, you, this has been an ongoing battle for years. When we were growing up and uh, in in the 80s and, and hip-hop was... Uh, actually taking its hold, um, the parents were upset and they were protesting and they were um, because of the language. And as it rolled into the 90s, as it rolled into the 90s, they got, um, it went into the misogyny and the, the gangs and the violence but it was a, a healthy balance because we still had the Talibs and we still had the commons and we had, you know, it, it was a nice balance. But now, um, now we have just uh, uh, anywhere you go, it's bling, who can I have sex with? Where am I going to snort it off of her at? You know, it's just violence and, and misogyny and rape and drug use and drug users and drug selling and, and materialism. And do you think that this constant feeding of that kind of music um, has contributed to 
um, the different things that are going on now in the world, especially um, in our communities and with um, this seems to be this ongoing battle between black men and black women. Yeah, I, I, I do because Remember at the beginnings, the essence of hip hop, the, the, the authentic state or beginning of it was about expressing the issues within our community, the things that we were experiencing. We were talking about it. We were sharing it. It helped us sort of make sense of what was truly going on. And, as, and that was drugs, sex, alcohol, crack, things that were happening in our community, which we could, we know that that has been, um, whether people want to debate it or not, I'm not strategically designed to keep us in a state of um, stagnation, of being mm -hmm. um, in a place where, where we feel less than. So as the music evolved, what happened is the powers that be weaponized it. They, what they do is what has happened is, is if you come from a place with economics is a challenge and you've been taught that if you have more money, you're better off, then I can sell you the idea that if you do this music, I can pay you to do this music more. So mm -hmm. now we drown out the commons, the talibs, the, the um, you know, the artists, the, the dead prez, like the artists that were talking and giving us this conscious music, this uplifting music, we can drown that out because monetarily we can offer you this. If you make this kind of music, we can up the ante. So now you put a person in a, in a tough spot. You put a person, a person in a situation, an artist in a situation in which their community or their family is in need of money. And now I'm supposed to choose this over that. And what we're seeing today is essentially who's got the most, who's got the bigger bag, who's got the most money. And even in our communities, it, it, I laugh sometimes because they, we still talk about our communities, which is not funny. Our communities need more jobs. They need more resources. That's great. But you're not going to hear that our communities need to heal. They need more mental health services. We need to get to the root causes of understanding of who we are and who we've been conditioned to be. We need more love. Going back to what Solrak was saying about the exchange with him and his son, I kid you not, I, and, it, and it sounds like a crazy idea, I, I think about Chicago all the time. That's just one city that has always been on my mind. Mm -hmm. And I think about why, how can we infuse love back into these areas. And I think about an exchange of hugs, right? Like, you know how you embrace like a, a young man, like your, your son, you give him a mm -hmm. hug and mm -hmm. there's an energy exchange that occurs within that. And I think, why can't we go into our communities, do a community talk and before everybody leaves, they get a hug from another man I like and, that. and they get this, this hug that releases them. I'm, I know there will be a release of tears. There'll mm -hmm. be a release of vulnerable feelings and, mm -hmm. and thoughts that can come from that. So yes, the music right now is has been weaponized in the way in which it, it, it wants us to continue to ruminate, stay in that cycle. 
but also it's divisive. So if we battle each other, even within the music, the older heads are better than the newer heads, the newer heads are better than the older heads. It's just the divisiveness that's been infused into the business model, capitalism, mm -hmm. money, uh, jewelry, shiny things, so to speak, has been what sort of like they dangle in front of us, knowing that a lot of times we just want to feel good. So we've been taught and conditioned that if I have the Bentley, if I have the $250,000 car, I'm better now. I feel good now. But deep down inside, we could still be experiencing the hurt and pain so we continue to rap about it as well. So it's, it is a need to have discourse around sure. hip-hop and discussions around... I don't want to turn on the radio hmm. at 9 o'clock in the morning and hear that picking up an AK and taking out our, mm -hmm. ourselves. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. this programming, like in a radio station, is okay with doing this. Yeah. And, and, mm -hmm. and, the, and I have three daughters, and I don't want to hear, I don't want my daughter to hear that without understanding that there's a, there's a system behind that that's programming you to mm -hmm. be this way. And I think our artists need more discourse. We need to have more conversations that can pull us out of that so we can hear more Common. Common just released a great, a great body of work mm -hmm. that nobody's going to get a chance to listen to because we have to dig deep underneath everything else that they built on top of it. And mm -hmm. so I want to hold, I always ask the kids this in my symposiums, like, is it a fault of our artists or is it a fault of the system? And mm -hmm. I think there's an opportunity to say that there's whether rather than fault the artists, what can we do to 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 pull ourselves up out of it? Because if we're mm -hmm. expecting the system to do it, it's it's not going to happen. There's not going to be a change of heart, in my opinion, because money is the root of that system. So if it makes money, they're going to keep promoting it and keep promoting it. So it's going to be up to us to really do it and, and and create our own spaces and lanes and we need to uplift common we need other artists yeah. to uplift mm -hmm. those yeah. those social yeah yeah and all more the technique yeah you right yeah. you right yeah put mm -hmm. them on the main stage put them on the platforms and it's i think it's it's a slow go but that we've seen some of that take place i, I think really slow think it it also has to do with the fact that hip hop has grown so much and that um, a lot of the people who actually are purchasing these albums are really sightseeing through the ghetto and through the hood and they don't see the consequences of the music. They just want to be down. And <laughs> They don't feel bad about lying to kick it. <laughs> absolutely right. I can listen to Rest in Peace Pop Smoke. I can love Pop Smoke in Kansas. I never have to come to Brooklyn. So I never have to live the life that he has to live. Or even though, you know, Rest in Peace, he got killed in L.A., out in, in Cali. But I never have to be in the Bronx. But I could I could go crazy to the song and I can consume it. And because my boy, everybody mid 
those red states, they love hip hop just as much as the Northeast or, or Southeast. They love it as much, just as much. They consume it. They buy it. So because of that, you're absolutely right. It's It has a lot to do with who's purchasing now. It has a lot to do with the technology, the streaming now. So yeah, now I can, I can almost get a sense of what they go through, but I, you're never going to fully understand. You don't have to walk down the street in the Bronx where he's actually rapping or they're actually rapping about what they're going through. And you're not speaking out against it. Like, it would be cool if those same consumers were like, and utilize their power and their voices, not saying that not, they're not, you know, but there's some that are, but collectively it's not happening because if that was the case, maybe we would see more things change in the communities in which these artists come from as well. But it's very seldom that you get uh, that you get very much pushback for, in a system that is beneficial to you. No, yeah, I, I think that's what it's. I mean, now we're talking about the why to mm -hmm. do something, the why to do something or to not do something, and I think what we have to get our artists to understand is that. We talked, me and you, SP, talked about, I was talking about this critical listening that has to occur. You went into a booth, the studio, and you wrapped this, and you're promoting this. And at no point in time in an interview did you say, I'm not actually doing this, and I'm not expecting you to, because most artists have a persona, and a, you know, and a, but we there has to be a balance here. You know, there has to be something that, gets the person out of the spiral because the young kids listen to it. I listen to it. But I'm able at a point where I can I can pick and choose what I want and I have a filter that mm -hmm. I can utilize. A lot of our young people don't have that because they they haven't been taught or they've been conditioned not to have that. So the level of acceptance that this is reality. And we know that a lot of times it's not the case. So it's like really getting back to the essence of hip hop. And I really love talking about the pillars and the beginnings of the culture and talking about how it has evolved to help people understand how it has changed over times as well. So um, when I see, um, when I see something like the tragedy that happened in in Houston um, and the people who got crushed. And I remember uh, thinking music has so much power and there would have been so much power in calming the area you know, and do you think, do you think it has gotten to a point where even the artists aren't looking at the fans as humans, they're looking at them as a ends, the ends to a mean, the means to an end? Yes, yeah, an excellent question, um, SP. I, 
I was saying in a group, a symposium I did this week because we talked about the, the incident that occurred. And, um, and I was saying, I don't believe the artists fully understand the impact. First of all, the amount of people that was at that festival speaks to some level of influence and impact. It, it does. They even just get them to come. And I, I believe most artists, you know, there's a creative element and they want to be creative and they love seeing that, that energy. And, but I don't think sometimes I, I agree. I don't think sometimes they fully understand the power that, that they, the influence that they have. That was an opportunity there to, to the MC is the mic controller. It's the, the person that has the ability where you say something and people listen. And I don't think, again, some of the newer artists and maybe even some of the artists from our generation, I don't think they understand that power. And that's why it's so important that we need to have a passing of the baton that, that is intentional. There needs to be an understanding of the pillars of the culture and why it's the foundations of how you got to that stage. The mic, that MC has a great and enormous responsibility. There's people that came before you that 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 built this. If we respect that, that pillar, then you know that there's more to it than just getting on a stage and saying this. In the meanwhile, this is taking place and you had the power and I know, and, and I'm not going to get into the, the specifics of because okay. there's arguments and discourse around what mm -hmm. this person could have done. But let's mm -hmm. get to the essence mm -hmm. of the artists. You have a lot of power. And if they mm -hmm. understood that, I think that we would see more changes because we we control the system. Think about it. If we decide today we don't want to make that music anymore, that kind of music, even for one year. Artists going in strategically, intentionally going into creative spaces and giving us con socially conscious music. That's going to be the trend. That's going to, if it sells, that's what they're going to have to go because it's really about the dollar. Mm -hmm. So once mm -hmm. we just understand our full power and capabilities, it's a game changer. And I just think we haven't got there yet in, in platforms like powerful impact and, and mental hot. Those are going to be the the avenues, along with so many others, where we start to sort of mm -hmm. get people to really embrace the power that they truly have in, in the space of hip hop, mental health, healing, mm -hmm. and, cha and changing and impacting our communities in a positive way. Yeah, I'm glad that you did mention that, that, you know, uh, about the effects of hip hop and how it does impact our community as a whole. Um, I think one of the things that we need to do tonight, and I'm glad you're here because I feel like you are the position to do that. Because a lot of times we are, we tell ourselves, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. This is normal. We traumatize, we normalize trauma. Mm -hmm. And we think because we grew up that way, that's the way it should be. And we don't realize that we might suffer with a mental illness. We might suffer with a mental disorder because we have normalized it. We have made it seem like it's okay to be that way. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not down talking to anybody that struggles with a mental illness. I have a daughter that does. Um, and there may be people that listen to the podcast that has a mental illness, but they may not be aware 
that they're struggling with that because we don't have sometimes we don't have honest people around us to say, hey, you need to go and see a therapist. You may need to see a psychologist, what so have you. Can you define for us just so we can help people who may be on that point where they don't really understand what's going on with them? Can you define exactly what mental health, what a mental health disorder is or mental illness in general? Yeah, typically to help people understand it is when you have a mental illness, it it impacts you in multiple ways. So first mm -hmm. of all, we know that it impacts you internally. You don't feel the same. You don't feel good. You don't feel like yourself. You feel increased levels of stress. You feel mm -hmm. depressed. You feel anger. You feel aggression. You feel this emo these emotions internally. But then because you feel these emotions internally and it affects you as a mm -hmm. human being, it ultimately affects you externally, which mm -hmm. means it affects you in school. It affects your functioning in relationships or on the job or um, with friends or with family or in your community. So then you see it could be one or the other or both. And what people have to understand is that because that affects your functioning, there's, mm -hmm. there's things that are going to be reinforced. I lose my job, breakups, mm -hmm. family dysfunctions, community issues, um, substance abuse, um, mm -hmm. incarceration rates, crime, all these things that can have depression, anxiety, you know, all these things start mm -hmm. to happen. So once that it, it impacts your functioning to that level, Mm -hmm. We usually diagnose it with something okay. like you. We give you a diagnosis. That's when you're in this this space of a a mental illness, meaning there's something that is impacting you physically, mentally, and emotionally. And that's where we we need to sort of say, similar to how will physical disease or illness takes place, you can have a mental illness or disease that also could be resolved and you can mm -hmm. heal from. And I think that's a big part of it too, because we normalize it. We don't even think there's anything different. So mm -hmm. what happens when you go to therapy and when you go to counseling, one of the beginning things that we do is try to help you with what you said. So Rack, which is mm -hmm. the awareness. Awareness mm -hmm. is the beginnings of healing. Awareness is like the door to healing. It's like the, once you're at the, once you acknowledge, wait a minute, there's something different that I could be experiencing. I never knew that. Once you start to get that, or I'm acknowledging and taking accountability that I'm, I'm being honest, something's not right. Want that beginning of vulnerability and awareness is the beginnings of healing. If you think about healing being the long road that you travel, the mm -hmm. first entryway to it is awareness. So if we get people just to, acknowledge and that takes time i'm sure y'all can imagine like yes. there's a lot of denial rightfully so because denial mm -hmm. is a protective factor denial pr protects us from feeling like we're crazy or something's wrong with us because these are labels and stigma that has been placed on our society so nobody wants to feel like something's wrong with them so mm -hmm. we put up these protective factors denial projection sure. It's your fault. It's not my fault. It's something mm -hmm. you're doing, not something I'm doing. So once wow. we help people get through, you can put that wall down with me. Mm -hmm. Like this be your, your true self. Tell me what's going on. Once we could get to that level of trust and safety, then we can allow people to share. And then we could allow 
uh, acknowledgement of an awareness of what they're truly experiencing to, to go on, then we can help people heal. Okay. Dr. S, remember the breakdown of denial, the acronym D-E-N-I-A-L? Mm -hmm. Don't even know I am lying to myself. <laughs> Correct. Denial. Don't even know I'm lying to myself. So just check that out, people. That's denial right there. Mm -hmm. So um, being of a certain age, when you we grew up in homes where what happens in my house stays in my house. Mm -hmm. And um, you don't tell. Uh, where, how do we break that cycle? Because I think those words that we have taught each other over the years, our parents taught us, their parents taught them, has added to the mental strife that we're going through now because um, we we were taught not to say anything. Yeah. You just, I, go ahead, you, sorry. Just, you just go, you know, you just keep, keep it moving because who's going to believe you anyway? So how do you get people to elevate themselves where they are beyond beating the hell out of their kids. And they are beyond um, don't say anything, when don't leave, whatever happens in this house stays in this house. How do we get past that? Because I think those are some things that are really causing trauma. Yeah, it's intergenerational trauma. It's being passed down from generation to generation. And uh, so often we get into the space of blaming past generations or, you know, why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that? But remember, that's what they were taught. So it's like you're doing what you feel or what you was done to you, what you thought was right. And I'm glad you mentioned this idea of, of discipline. I can't, I work with young people. It's, it's, it's discipline is not supposed to be traumatic and it is. And I work with juvenile, I work in the juvenile justice system and I have symposiums with young men that are incarcerated. And when I talk about discipline, they, they lighten up like, yo, I got, I got hit with this. I got hit with that. And, and they're sitting in jail and they're trying to make the connection between what did that what, what did that do to help me? And, and, and so one of the things we have to be able to do is in order, if a trauma, there's a great saying, great quote, if trauma can be passed down from generation, so can healing. And once we get to this understanding that the things that we've been taught and conditioned to do were not necessarily the right things to do. And we could offer in an alternative way that doesn't take away your stance as being a great parent, doesn't take away your stance as being a strong parent, a competent parent. That's, that's being open to the idea that if you have to do something multiple times, like strike your kid, or if you have to tell your kid, 
don't you know what happens in this house stays in this house, then that means you're trying to keep something hidden and buried. And the whole idea of keeping something buried in our house keeps something buried inside of the individual. And if you keep something buried inside of the individual, you are putting that person in your family at risk for something worse that could happen because there's only a level of time in which somebody could keep burying something. Is a volcano is going to begin to be unsettled. You're going to have this eruption that happens. How do we prevent that? There has to be a safe place that can begin in the home. So first, we could talk about issues and challenges here together collectively. But if you go to school and there's a, a person there that's giving you an open, safe place to talk, we have to get our parents um, open enough to trust. And I think that's a problem in itself, too. We've been through things in school districts and, and systems, not even school systems, um, healthcare systems, community systems, government systems, judicial systems. We don't trust. And because we don't trust, we don't want to tell people what's going on in our families because we feel that they're going to do something that's going to ultimately break up that, that family. Not knowing by suppressing it, we are essentially doing the same thing. So we have to find a way to, we always talk about breaking the cycle, SP, but I love the idea of just, we only have to put a crack in it, if you think about it. The way healing works is if one person or one exchange or one event or one experience of healing takes place, it has a magnetic possibility to spread and it cracks and it, it puts cracks in that cycle where ultimately, it could break. So you hear these sayings, you see these beams where there's this person that's going to be the person that breaks the cycle. And that sounds like a lot of weight to put on an individual, but it's very um, courageous. It takes courage mm -hmm. to do that. You know, it takes a kid coming to me and saying, you know, Dr. S, I know I'm not supposed to tell you these things, but I, I want to share some things with you. That's a courageous act. They're saying in spite of the potentially what could happen to me, I have to get this out. And, and no matter what, I'm going to say this. And I, it's my duty to protect that child, to protect that individual, and let them know, validate their feelings, and understand there's a level of grace that comes. We're not perfect. None of us are perfect. You know, and I'll support you, and I'll walk with you, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll hold your hand through this journey. So... We need more love, SP. We need more solidarity. We need more empathy, more compassion amongst each other, though, and more trust and support in safe places. And, and if we could get that, then we can start to put a, a crack and dent in that cycle that we've been seeing over the generations. And I, I wanted to broach one more topic with you before we... <laughs> Uh, slide into uh, uh, slide back into some music, but um, I really wanted to have. I think it needs to be addressed. Um, people seem to have this notion that um, when you're sexually assaulted, that um, you are immediately just going to go to the police and tell the police what happened and and 
and that is what you do without uh, taking into consideration the the impact that something like that has on, on a person. So I've heard many people um, debating about women coming out 20 years later or 15 years later or 30 years later and talking about being sexually assaulted. And um, there seems to be some confusion on why um, they waited so long. And um, as someone who had been, I always say, um, I probably never said it out loud till I was 35. And it happened when I was 18. So can you explain that kind of trauma and why it takes so long for someone to actually say it out loud? Yes. Um, I, I don't think, again, we don't talk about trauma enough. We, we show trauma. We talk about traumas in, in a way of talking about the act that has taken place. We don't talk enough about the impact of trauma and not only the impact, how trauma changes the brain. This, this is, it, it has to be, this is the, why the educational piece is so important. When I hear people make comments about this person came out this amount of years later, they don't understand trauma. Trauma changes the wiring, changes your emotional regulation syntax in your brain. It, it changes the wiring. So you do not you do not do things the way you used to do things pre the traumatic event. Maybe mm -hmm. before the traumatic event, you were talking. You were ex certainly really expressive. The traumatic event takes place. It changes you. Because it changes you and because it was traumatic, you want to not relive that traumatic experience again. So the last thing you want to do is talk about it or tell somebody about it or, or feel safe enough to share something about it or a fear of judgment because we have a society that often does that, that says, well, what did you do? Or what could you have done differently? So we automatically put up all these barriers to feeling safe enough to be able to come out if we're at the, the mental and emotional state to be able to do that because the trauma has changed us. It has, it has impacted us in a way in which we may not even communicate the same. We may not even share things the way we used to. We may not even be vulnerable anymore. We don't trust. We may not trust anyone again. So the last thing we'll do is tell you this very traumatic, detailed experience that I went through in, in fear that you may judge me for it or question me about it. Or also I share with you and what do you do? Do you tell another family member? Do you put it on social media? Well, that's not what I told you before. You know, I was I was going through something. And so it takes a lot of you have to it takes time to get to that place. 
and I and I and it it always gets me when people say, "Well, why did they come out now?" Because clearly you don't understand. Like you're putting a time frame in which you're ready, or you thought that person should come out and express what they went through. But it takes time for that individual, and they need support, and they need encouragement, and they need, you know, um, sometimes counseling, and you know, they need that um, that that empowerment. That's to understand you're not alone with this, to be able to do that. And that takes time in order to get to that that place. Thank you for that, because I, I, I've been listening to these, um, these conversations that are being had. And traditionally, as, as tradition has shown, um, doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't seem to matter what age we're living in when um, sexual assault occurs, um, it is normally pushed back on women or the victim. It, it, even with boys, it is pushed back on the young men. Why aren't you? Why didn't you fight? You know, but they don't consider the grooming. They don't consider the uh, absolute violence of that and the shame that comes with it. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm glad you addressed it because I, I um, it was starting to irritate me because these are adults that don't understand. And if you don't understand and you have children and something happens to your children, how safe are they going to feel telling you about it? Exactly. exactly. So, uh, okay. Um, how do you perform music therapy with the client? Mm -hmm. so is, it, I, is it done in your office during the session or do they have hip hop homework? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's a, that's a great question. And I was, I was sharing this with Nev behind the scenes. Um, so I, yeah, originally when I was doing therapy, um, I'm, I'm still in private practice. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't do as, I have some individual clients and, and when I do some individual stuff, of course, yeah, I'm doing, you know, listening to certain music with them and, you know, we're breaking down lyrics and, um, I'm giving them homework. Maybe they might go back and listen to, cause remember it's about engagement, education, empowerment, and also about healing. So they might, I might send them back to, to listen to a song um, or identify a song that, that resonates with them around the condition or experience that they're trying to get through and bring that back to the session. Um, but because I'm doing more education now, now I'm going, which I love, I'm going into schools and I'm having these symposiums, which I love the word because it's really like this exchange in this conversation, in this discourse that happens where I'm I'm not solely facilitating, but I'm in the midst of, I'm with our kids and I'm guiding them through this idea of understanding the nuances of mental health and, and then tying it in and connecting the dots and helping them connect the dots through hip hop. So through these symposiums, it's like questions and 
enlightenment and talking points. And I'm not driving information down their throats. I'm not saying you got to do this, you got to do that. I'm not even screaming. The tone of my voice is one of which is inviting them to be part of this, this experience. And I want to learn from you. Bring me into your space. Bring me into your world. So the engagement is number one. So it's the level of connection and the music helps that obviously because um, I get to share some music with them and they share some music with me. Then is the educational piece, which I usually focus on some level or aspect of mental health, trauma, depression, anxiety, um, PTSD, um, anger. Um, but I do other things outside of like our traditional mental health topics. So I'll talk about um, resilience, empathy, compassion, grace, gratitude, concepts that they just you just don't hear growing up in schools and you don't hear, you might not even hear growing up in your home. And then, um, so that's the educational piece. And then the empowerment piece is also a, always a takeaway. What's going to be a takeaway for that, that kid or that young person in that, that symposium? What can they take away that they could apply in a very practical way? Is it because you watched Brenda from Tupac and you saw the trauma she experienced, but you heard an initial line where Tupac says, let me explain to you how it affects the, our, our whole community. So now you start to understand where you just committed one act that you thought was just something small and minute, but it impacted the entire community because it, it, it reverberates throughout the community. It's a wave that happens. You know, Brenda went through this traumatic event. You know, then she went to this traumatic event. And then she went through that all because that initial one. So that's just like, it could be something as simple as that. Or it could be as simple as something as simple as Nas is a great storyteller. And he, he created yes, he Illmatic at 19. And how did he do it at 19? And I have a story inside of me that I want to tell that I didn't even think was possible at the age of 19. So now I'm inspired by him. So now I can maybe start to journal my, my ideas and thoughts. That can be therapeutic for me. So whatever the takeaway is for that young person, I always ask, what's the takeaway? You know, give me one takeaway. And I'm doing this um, SP, Soul Rack and that with our most vulnerable populations, the populations that our society has forgotten. You committed a crime or you did something wrong, you're incarcerated, but you're 16. You came from a traumatic household environment. Yes, you have to serve your time. You have to do that time. But this is about, there's no rehabilitation in our judicial system. It's really about stay away, do that, and then come back into the same place. What I get a chance to do is infuse a level of conversation around healing, around mental health, around wellness that hopefully ignites the idea of change internally. So when you get outside, you don't want to do the things that you used to do because now you see yourself as a different individual. And that's always my goal or um, that's always my goal in any of the mental health work that I do is how can we grow? How can we continue to evolve and heal throughout this journey?
So when it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to be? You know what? I want my legacy to be um, someone who cared. Now, someone who cared and someone who, who activated that caring and compassion. And I used mm -hmm. to think, like, when I first came into this space, I was like a gun-ho. I was going to change the world. Like, I was, I took a job at one of the worst juvenile justice facilities in the state of New Jersey. And I got in wow. there, um, I was young, I was vibrant, and I was like, I'm going to help every single one of these kids. And I got in there and realized that the system, because now I evolve and I understand systems, and I, the system, they didn't want that from me. Why would they want me to really, truly care and, and really care about these kids? Because recidivism rates go down. Recidivism meeting the rate of coming back in goes down. Kids become enlightened. Kids stop seeing their brother as their enemy and shooting each other. Then they put me in the system as a, as a black male. I have to work in that system in which I see young kids being lined up with uniforms on an account with uh, a person, a CEO, that's a different color than them, counting them, that reminds me of slavery from years ago. So now I'm impacted, I'm triggered. And I'm like, you know what? The kids were like, when I told them I was transitioning, I was leaving, they were applauding me. They were like, do it. Go out and tell them this is not the place to be. Tell them that there's people out there that love and care about them. So that was that's what I want my legacy to be. One in which somebody cared, they loved our people in a very authentic way, and then they did something. Even if it changed one life, life, mm -hmm. I feel my legacy was fulfilled because one life could change so many other lives. And I know and I feel good and I feel and I feel good about where I'm at. I'm not selling my soul to try to come on and be somebody I'm not. I'm hip hop. I'm bringing hip hop into colleges. I'm an adjunct professor. When I do my classes, you know, this is what I look like. <laughs> like mm -hmm. when you, when, when my, when parents come to my office, they'll say, yeah, we're looking for um, Dr. Skanyas. Like Dr. Skanyas. I'm Dr. Scott. Like this is, I am that person. So I'm being my most authentic self and doing what I love. And if people and if kids and if young people and our people just get that, be yourself, don't lose yourself, understand your greatness, then that in itself is enough for me to, to be okay with the legacy that I leave as well. I, I think it's important that you made the statement, I am hip hop, because Many times when we look at hip hop, which is, you know, there's the four elements, but we just look at the, the performance side of it. But hip hop is a culture, which is a way of life. And with that being said, I, I, it's, 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 I'm glad that you're here and I'm going to tell you why. And I know I said it earlier, but I want to reemphasize that because we don't always have the opportunity to talk to someone who can speak to us from a psychological perspective. There has been a there's a lot going on today. We're dealing with coronavirus. We're dealing with hip hop legends that have passed and gone, 
and some of it, you know, to a certain point has been drug related or have been some other issues, health issues. And so we haven't really been to a certain extent. I feel like we haven't really been there for some of those artists. And that's just my opinion. But I'm going to bring it back to this. And the reason I wanted to mention that is because just like how you're making an impact in the culture today, as far as your profession and you're representing hip hop. And you're showing there's a different face to hip hop other than what we have grown to love and grown to know that there is a mental and psychological component to it. And we need to embrace that because we need to be able to save our legends or save the ones who are struggling right now by bringing this information to the to the to it to the forefront. But who are the mo who are the three most influential and impactful people in your life personally and professionally and why? Wow, that's a great question. And I agree with you 100%, So Rack. I think that um, we also talk about these pillars, but we don't talk mm -hmm. enough about the extensions. There's, mm -hmm. there's other pillars as well that often, um, you know, they get missed sometimes, which is this knowledge, which is this health, which is this mental health. Um, I love what Styles P is doing in terms of talking about, like mm -hmm. in terms of juicing and your physical health. Yes. Um, so yes. that's a beautiful thing. I'm going to tell you the most influential people in my life have truly been um, personally have been my, my parents. Um, I grew up with my mother and father okay. in the household and my dad. Um, they're both in their 70s. And, and my dad is he was that quiet man that that mm -hmm. worked and, and went to work every day. And but I saw him be present and I saw him uh, display vulnerability. I saw him mm. communicating with my mom. I saw him expressing his feelings, but I also saw my mom that went to work every day who supported my dad, who, you know, encouraged him. So it gave me like this idea that this was something that was not only possible, but I was living it and I was mm -hmm. enjoying it. And I was, experiencing it so my mom was a poet she was so, she would just be in, she would just get on the phone and just call somebody and just encourage them she would write handwritten notes to people um and just fold it up and tuck it in their shirt and i would find some things that she wrote and i feel like wow that's where i got this this poetry from that's where i got this creativity from because mm -hmm. her writings were so they were amazing. And then my dad, that's where I got this, this quiet strength from, that you could be both. Like, you could be strong and be emotionally in tune as well. So those are my influences mm -hmm. personally. But then professionally, like, I was always, I was telling Nev, like, I was always into, like, um, finances and, and mm -hmm. entrepreneurship and things like that. But it was really, like, Honestly, it was like the teachings of like Malcolm X that okay. really like yeah. really got me to understand like I love my people. Like I mm. really love out my community. And I wanted to be part of the reason why there was an awakening of, mm. of or an enlightening of such. Mm. Not a, not a judgment, a, 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 a condemning. And that's what Malcolm did so well. Like he was he loved the people, but he wasn't bringing them down. I think sometimes we get so caught up in the fact that we feel like in order to bring somebody up, we have to break them down again. No, mm -hmm. you can love somebody up. 
and that's why um you know so those are just like some people right off the top but then hip-hop so many things and you know artists too like you know i know sp was talking about jay and nas and i go i was mm -hmm. talking about karis one oh KRS yeah one the teacher was yeah I, she asked me what song and i said criminal minded and somebody like, oh like, yeah you fell in love with hip hop through criminal a, a, a album called criminal minded yes <laughs> because i'd never heard hip hop put in that way mm -hmm. and then be seeing his evolution so of course the battle the verses that took place i was like i was i was all in because that was he it, he was the ones that i started to understand Mm -hmm. Whether it be metaphysics, whether it be I started to understand energy, whether I started mm -hmm. to understand that level of consciousness. So, you know, those are just some artists, and there's so many, you know, that mm -hmm. just hip hop in general, like, has been my my one of my biggest inspirations. Just the culture itself and the creative elements to it um, has inspired who I am today. Awesome! Thank you for sharing that with us. Of course, thank you. So is there anything you're currently working on um, that'll be coming out soon? Anything you want to promote? Yeah, like I was telling you guys earlier, I'm, I, I got a couple of great contracts for Mental Hot that I'm so proud of. Um, you know, the contracts with the juvenile justice system that I got the first one in March. These are state contracts with the entire state. And then I got my mm -hmm. second one um, just uh, two weeks ago and just finalized it, had a meeting with the state again just this week. So I'm extremely happy about that. And the reason, because if I can do it in New Jersey, then that means I can begin to reach out to these same bodies and systems in other states and I could reach more kids and more of our youth in that way. So I'm excited about more partnerships, more schools, um traveling more to talk more about mental health and and talk about it as an approach that other people can use because i'm not you know i'm a creative in that way where i want to share it you know what what does it do for me to have something that i believe could be beneficial but i don't share it and allow others to be able to pull gems and nuggets from it in which they can utilize in their spaces to help people so um so mental health just continuing to grow it, you know, and like I said, I have the um I, I've been blessed to be part of a movie that's called Hush coming out summer um 2022. Nope. Um uh independent director named Antoine Lindsay, who I'm telling you, as a creative, you know, seeing and hearing what he's doing with this film and then being part of it, the colors, the layers. And it's called Hush, Help Us Say Help. It's one of those films that I believe is going to be a groundbreaking experience because we don't get a chance to see mental health, wellness, and healing done in a very artistic way, where it's not like talking about the pain and suffering all the time. We see a lot of those films, the trauma, the tragedy. Mm -hmm. but this film focuses on validating that but now saying, but there's an opportunity to heal as well. So um, so that's what I'm looking on. I have another book in the pipeline. I did Good Mornings, Wake Up Calls for Life, which was my first book. Show them your book. Show them your book so they so, can get so, it. So, so Good Mornings, Wake Up Calls for Life, available on Amazon. Um, 
you know, available on Amazon. And this is one of three. So there's good mornings, good afternoons, and there's going to be good nights. And every single book is designed to give you that burst of encouragement of um, the burst of positive energy at different points of the day. Um, so the second book is basically done. I'm just waiting to release it in 2022. I'll follow up with Good Afternoons. So those are some things that I'm working on and just like doing more. Um, sure good vibes. Good vibes. Yeah, good vibes. Good vibes. That came too. out in 2020. <laughs> uh, I got to show people that because we always give you some good vibes, some love, some good energy, some knowledge, some education as well. So I want people to get that also involved also on Amazon as well. So when you click on either one, you'll get a chance to see the other one as well. So you can purchase them together. And the links will be in the description. Yup. And I want people to go to mentalhop.com if they want merch, got hoodies, hats. And of course, um, you know, they can follow me on drskyersspeaks.com. So it's the full word doctor speaks, the full word skyers, my last name.com. And I'm sure you guys will put that in the tag and oh yeah absolutely absolutely so that way they could book me for community talks mental hop symposiums traveling to colleges and universities i do stuff like that as well so i'm looking forward to just connecting with the people more like staying with the roots of social work which is outreach community connecting so that's what i, I plan on doing more of in 2022. i just want to thank you so much for uh, coming on. I think our the next few months will be about um, mental health, physical health, spiritual. Your mind, body, and spirit all needs to be whole because you can't come to anybody as half a person. Nobody, you, you, you don't have two halves make a whole. You need to be a whole person in order to find a whole person. So I'm glad that you're here and I hope you come again, especially to promote your film and especially because our community needs a reset. And I think with people like you, we're well on our way. So thank you so much for being here. And I also want to thank you as well. Um, very deep conversation, much needed conversation, and a conversation that needs to be shared with the hip hop community because we do need to address um, mental illness more so. Again, we can never thank you enough for the contribution you're doing for the culture. We can never thank you enough for the things that you're doing right now. And we appreciate everybody for tuning in to the Powerful Impact Podcast with Sorak, Neb, and SP featuring Dr. Rennie. And forgive me if I mispronounce your last name. Also, Dr. S, thank you, Neb, for helping me on that. And we ask that you buy his books, his merchandise. I, I believe what you have on tonight is one of your um, hoodies, if I'm wrong, correct me. Uh, nah, nah, this is okay, not no problem. It's not okay. one of my hoodies, but it's a okay. dope, it's a dope hoodie in itself. Okay. I got I got the hoodies online. I definitely right. want people to tap in. And when All this right, by the time this comes out, 
There's mm-hmm. going to be more hoodies, more merch, so they're going to have more choice and selection as well. So definitely no go to mentalhop.com, and okay. I know you guys are going to post all the links so it's yeah. easy for people to get to. So I Absolutely. That. So I, I want to encourage you to buy the merchandise, buy the books, connect with this, this brother right here because he's on the cutting edge of the culture. And not only is he on the cutting edge of the culture, he can also help you take you off the ledge. And we need people like that. We're thankful for what he does for the community. We ask that you subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay connected to upcoming episodes and follow us on social media. Remember, powerful impact is more than music. It's a way of life. And as Neb say, what's the word we say, Neb, whenever we end it? Boom! All right. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Thank you again, Dr. S, for for uh, being on the show tonight. Thank you guys as well. Thank you, Thank SP. You. Thank you, Nev. So Thank you. you. Absolutely. Well. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. Yo, we getting that record 2022 summer. Yeah. Final. It's yeah. side. No doubt. It's no coming. doubt. We got to get Not it. Maybe. It's a fit. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Thank you again for, All right. for staying you for so us. Thank you for staying for the amount of time you did. I appreciate you doing that. To my peeps, to my peeps, may God bless you and keep Make his face shine upon you and grant you peace beyond anything man could hand you. Shalom, the wholeness, the fullness. Calm when the waters of this world form a bullwhip. Safeguard over your ark till the storm comes to an end. Depart in unison, singing Amen. Amen. Amen.